Hello and welcome to Pocket Thoughts. We've got the whole crew back for today's episode, so get excited about that. Our first question for today is, how do you handle your frustrations at work? You'll get to hear about my bad day at work and how I should have handled it and what advice I get for the future when it may happen again. The second question for today is, what do companies slash startups need to do in order to attract slash retain customers? The third question is, what do you want to get out of your entrepreneurial experience over the next year? Whether that be knowledge, money, fame, etc. And the unofficial fourth question that came up in the end of the episode is, why do you think people don't jump into entrepreneurship? It's a jam-packed episode full of good information and another EE update at the end. So thank you guys for listening and enjoy the rest of your week. today <laughs> on time all all came to us on time so we could prepare <laughs> brady you've been gone let's hear your question first oh brady's got food in his mouth brady no worries brando how about you lead us <laughs> off baby let's do this all right so i had a really shitty day at work today i'm sorry why <laughs> just everything was going wrong left and right like what just Stuff that has to do with work that no one else would care about. I think people might. (sighs) You don't have to get into like extreme details, but. Well, this guy basically had something from like a tool from the warehouse in his truck. And he drove away with it. And apparently this guy was in the fastest truck ever. He got like (laughs) 200 miles away in like 40 minutes. And he basically, I was like, hey, you got to turn around. Or else you got to pay for this thing. And he went off on me, saying that he wasn't going to pay for shit. And so I raised my voice for the first time what? since I started working, telling this guy to relax. And people were laughing at me at work because it was the first time anyone had heard me show emotion. And people were pretty pumped about it. And then the girl next to me went home sick, so I had to take care of all of her stuff. Everything just kept blowing up one after another, and it really made me frustrated and I feel like my other work was lacking in areas because of my frustration because I basically just said fuck it let's just move on from this let's try to get through everything as quick as you can get the day over with go home and relax and get on a podcast and talk about it so with my frustrations I feel like that can look bad to others if people weren't so excited that it was my first time showing emotion at work. But for future stuff, if I have like an intern or something, how that looks on them and how that teaches them the wrong way, how do you guys handle your frustrations at work? Number one, I'm impressed that you actually yelled at someone. Kind of proud of you. To answer your question, I guess when I get frustrated, I start to realize that it's just pure selfishness because whenever I get frustrated, essentially it's just not going the way that I want it to go. I kind of take a breather. I don't actually have a number of breaths that I try to do, but I just try to do enough that I that some time elapses. It kind of forces me to think. And then I kind of ask myself these questions. Number one, I ask myself in that situation, what exactly does that situation look like in a year from now? And almost every single time, actually, I can't think of one situation that I've actually looked at and been like, yep, that's going to affect me a year from now. So at that point, I'd say, what is that situation going to look like in a month from now? Commonly, it doesn't affect me for a month. And then I look at a week from now, and usually that's where all my frustration will kind of lie. Because if I'm really going to get frustrated at something, it's going to affect me for an entire week. When I realize it's only going to affect me for one week, it kind of becomes easy to eliminate the frustration. Because I think to myself, number one, you only have to deal with this thing for seven days. And when you deal with it for these seven days, it's not going to be a problem anymore. So you have seven days that you have to get through and figure it out, and then you're good to go again. And 
if that doesn't work for me, the second thing I do is I think about my vision and I just kind of look at it like this is a part of my journey. And I think I've started to do this a whole lot more recently in the sense that when anything bad happens or I'm extremely disappointed in a result, instead of getting frustrated, I kind of selfishly just think to myself, you know what? I'm pretty darn confident I'm going to make it someday. It's just going to be a better part of my story. I know that's selfish, but just in my head, I just think, cool, I was rejected here. I'm excited to say this is how many times I've rejected in the future. I don't know why I can't talk right now. Those are my two ways, and that's what gets me through frustrating moments, I guess. I like that. So yours was, uh, is it going to affect me like long term, like from a year from now? I think I take a similar approach. It's just, I think about, am I even going to remember this moment in a year from now? And not only think about, is it going to affect me, but am I even going to remember this? Is it even worth fretting over right now? Or like, not fretting, but getting frustrated over right now. And so that's kind of like similar to how you think about it. But the other part of it, dealing with frustrations is lately I've dealt with a lot of difficulties with, with clients and their wants. And I've been on this specific project where their wants for a certain deliverable have changed midway through the project. And it's been extremely frustrating. One thing that I've learned from that is I am going to learn so much from this difficult situation that I have to just realize that, yeah, it's, it's frustrating right now, but it's going to make me such a better, kind of more adaptable person in the future that it's definitely going to pay off. So just kind of cool down and deal with the situation. I like both those. Um, I'm very similar in the approach that kind of both of you guys have except mine is just longer term. Like my big thing is like sleep on it. You realize what things like really matter and if they're still bothering you the next day. So my big thing has always been sleep on it. And then if it's still a problem, like not confront it, but um, deal with it the next day. Because I think a lot of times like emotions run high or you can get things like Brandon, what you were saying, like things just aren't going the right way. And that kind of piles up. So a lot of the times when something does like not break you, but puts you over that, that breaking point and you get, you do get frustrated um, a lot of the times it's not even the person that is actually doing it. It's a combination of other things. So the one thing that I really like to do is think of the like the phrase, look in the mirror and see if it's you. Because I think a lot of times it's really easy to say like, oh, so-and-so is like asking too much or how are they saying this? Like they're out of line. But I think a lot of times like you play some sort of role in that. I think there are very few times when I get really frustrated that I play absolutely no role in the process of it. I think a lot of times like, you contribute in some way or haven't made like haven't gone done anything to make the situation any better for yourself or the other person and it's really easy to cast blame instead of saying like what what role could i be doing to to make this better so those are kind of the two major things that i do can i ask about you sleeping on it at night yeah i feel like the moments that come up for me that are frustrating they seem to be decisions that i have to make like now and usually it's like a fire burning that has to be figured out in the moment. So are you saying more commonly than not, those burning fires in the moment don't get to you and you just have larger problems that kind of get to you? Or are you saying that even those problems in the moment, you kind of let sit and wait? That's a really good point. Like the immediate fires are, are definitely different. I don't think, cause I, I don't think you have the time to sit on it for a night. Usually for the immediate fires, I, go to the ladder that I was talking about where it's what could I be doing to make the situation any better? Like a lot of times I will step away from a situation and say like, all right, I'm going to take care of what I need to take care of in order to make this situation a little bit better before I ask like so-and-so to change this or someone else to change this or someone else to change the problem. So a lot of times I'll go back and say, what can I do personally to help help solve this problem? So like, I think that's probably my more short-term one when there's something that needs to be accomplished right away. It's remove myself from the situation so that I'm not letting emotions kind of fog what my decision should be. And then making sure that I've done everything that I can to make sure that it's not, that it's either not on me or that I, there's something that I could have done um, to help like soothe over the situation without getting more people involved or escalating the situation. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that's a, that's a really good point. I, I didn't distinguish that at all. So Brandon, do you use any strategy at all? Like even though you, did have a blow up today, but I think all of us still do. 
I mean, after I kind of just, that is one thing with my job is like, by the end of the day, it's going to be fine. And I have to realize that in the moment, which is tough to do. But most of the stuff, like five hours later, it's fine. It's in the past or something else that's coming up. So I think I just need to think about it in the moment that this is going to be over pretty soon. And then kind of just take a deep breath and move on to the next thing and not let my emotions get to me. I think uh, just to like go off that really quick, I think Joey made a really good point though, is the, and I think this happens to everyone in some situation or another, um, is the find me a rock problem. Like your client comes to you and says like, we want, we want a deliverable a, and you bring them deliverable a, and they're like, Oh, that's not actually what we wanted. We want, I don't want that rock that you got me. I want a different one. And they don't know until they kind of see it. And I think that's something that like, happens everyone is something that to some extent try and get ahead of it and figure out exactly what someone like client or whoever needs but at the same time like that's going to be present no matter what you're doing and like learning to deal with that and saying like okay even if I bring them exactly what they asked for that's it's not saying that I'm not like right it's saying that um, they might not have known what they wanted until they saw what it was that um, because a lot of these times like they'll ask you for something that maybe they've never even seen before. So they're saying like, we want this for the first time you bring it to them and they're like, Oh, well, that's not how I envisioned it. I envisioned it like this. And I think that's a good one to learn how to just step back and say, okay, it's not that I was off base. It's just that they might not know in this situation. So I think that was a really good one to bring up. Good stuff. Good question, Brandon. Um, Thank you. So now that Brady's done eating. Yeah. You want to, can you tell us about your uh, wonderful question? Yeah, my, my question is um, pretty straightforward, but I'm curious what everyone here thinks companies need to do, um, car- companies, startups need to do to attract and retain customers. And if you've never, maybe, I guess everyone has been in that situation, but if it's easier to answer, what do companies do that attract and retain you as a customer? I'm going to answer this with um, an experience that I had back in college. There's this fitness community called Alchemy out there. One of the things that drew me towards this community was um, kind of the the people that were so outgoing and personable with me at first. And that's what really caught my caught my attention and brought me in. And while I was there, I learned about it was more than just fitness classes. And to explain what it is, yes, it is fitness classes, but it, it builds a community. You do events together. You after, before classes, you come together. You talk about you. You introduce yourselves and talk about each other. And after class, you chat with each other. It's not like a normal fitness class that a lot of people are used to. You go to class, uh, you do the workout, and you leave. This is very very personable. And not only do you get to know each other within the class, but you go and they schedule events that are free for you to go to and just bond with other people. And it is it is super fun. So I would say the main thing that that attracted me to that was basically just the outgoing people and the welcoming um, community that that they had right away. And what kept me there and what retained um, my business was the actual community that they built around something that I loved um, in fitness. And um, usually you can't find that combination of that much of a community and fitness so bringing those things together really just retained me as a customer joey i thought all those were amazing points and i think it's really important to build that community when you're doing and creating a b2c business i mean i also think it's important b2b it's just a lot harder to do i'll talk about what i think you need to do when it comes to b2b because i mean i'm learning right now that b2b is just a different world and you kind of still treat another business like a human being and you kind of make the same actions but you just do it at a different scale and in a different way so I think when you're a startup I think it's really important to love your customers I think you have to love your companies or the people you're partnering with your customers more than you love the money that you're going to get out of it and when you choose to do that, essentially, it allows you to kind of treat a customer as more than just a job. It forces you to treat them more like a family member. So I'll give you an example, or it's not really an example, but when you're a startup, I believe it's really important. 
your first customer, your second customer, your first 100 customers before you scale. I think it's really important for you to make that experience mind-blowing for that customer. Even if you might get paid 1500 bucks for a project, you should be putting in way more than $1,500 of effort because this is gonna be the only time in your company's existence where you can give them way more than at any other point. And essentially, if you give them way more than that $1,500 is worth, that customer will go and market your company for you. And that is huge in B2B. Because when you're a startup in B2B, it's hard to create a company, and it's hard to convince a company to join you for the first time. And they, they're essentially taking a gamble on your company. They're taking a gamble on their, basically everything. I mean, they don't know what kind of results they're gonna get. They're putting their reputation on the line, everything. So you need to make the experience so mind-blowing for them that they become your first referral, they become your first white paper, they become your first, uh, essentially anything that you can base your ROI off of. So I think that's really important. And then the second thing is, and I think Brady usually brings us up when it comes to networking, but any customer that you work with, you need to say thank you. Like you need to go above and beyond with that thank you. It's gotta be that handwritten letter, but at GoMahi, for example, we're doing even more than that. So like we're sending them cheesy little gifts to remind them of us and say thank you. We're sending them like, I don't know if I want to say this, but like we're sending them balloons that come in packages and then they just kind of float up in their office with a note inside of them. So we're just trying to essentially do things differently, but create a unique experience for every customer. And I think that's what's going to give us a real shot but all those things I just mentioned are, those are our present solutions to getting a customer. But I think it's really important as a startup, you also have to work on creating that attention and retention and retaining them by creating processes that people can fall in love with in the future. So like, that happens through your blogs, that happens through social media, where you create enough content for all of these customers that they basically come to your site to interact and learn from you to improve their company without having to pay a dime. Because essentially that will force them to keep coming back and eventually someday, if you bring them enough value through all of your content, you'll start filling this generation of customers over and over and over again without having to put in that, that essentially that real-time marketing. I think those are the two big things that you should really focus on when it comes to startups. And I guess the last thing, sorry. The last thing would be just always experiment. Like always figure out what works for a customer and what doesn't and always pivot off of that and make changes. Because you're gonna constantly have to make iterations to improve that experience. And make sure you're always getting feedback so you can enhance that experience for the customer. So. Those would be my three things, I guess. One thing I thought about when I thought about this question was uh, the company Great Lakes Clothing. They're probably one of the few like startup companies, I guess, that I continue to buy from. And I think it's just because looking at their Instagram and their website and stuff, it's really like simple, easy. Obviously, it's just a clothing company, but like they are so like strong to their brand and everything that goes along with it. And they're open to like, so many new ideas. I think they just continue to hire like new interns and stuff and just different people that can bring different ideas to the table. And it seems to be working out pretty well for them. But I think for me to just kind of maintain with the company is just continuously having new ideas and new, I don't know, yeah, just ideas that will keep me coming back because they could just be putting out the same stuff and they could think that, oh, you know, we can sell hats and shirts for so long let's just keep doing that and then people are going to get sick of it and then all of a sudden now they're selling swimsuits and everything like that so I think I don't know that's just something that I keep going back to and I keep looking out for their new stuff because it's cool stuff and I don't know I just like going back to it when you say a strong brand what do you mean by that exactly I think they're just staying true to who they are they're a Minnesota-based company they stick with Minnesota things they're not trying to 
at least for now, expand out into other states or all try these new weird ideas. I think they, you just brought up a good point, though. I just really like their branding and how they aren't switching up with these new people. They're still staying true to their brand, but these people are bringing their own new ideas to this brand that, if it makes sense, still stays consistent with them. And that's true. I think you bring up a good point about being true to your brand because I'm reading Crushing It right now by Gary Vee. And essentially, they're talking about people that have made it big through, for example, their social media have made their companies large. And they've been giving a lot of examples of the individuals that had thousands of followers and all of a sudden became the sellout in a sense where they started adding things to their, their photos. They were branding for things. They weren't true to themselves. And those people just kind of leveled out, made a couple thousand a month, which is fine. But the individuals that stayed true to them didn't take any of those branding deals, only promoted things that were already in their videos. Those are the individuals that built million dollar companies. Those are the individuals that promoted themselves right because they always stayed true to them. So they had a following that always stayed in love with them. And their following never got confused by the message. So it was true throughout. And I think that's something that essentially you kind of just brought up. Because I think it's really important to have that message that you you kind of are true to always. Right? Yeah. I think pretty much, well, all of, all of mine somewhere or another got touched. Uh, I have three big ones as well. My first one is what Joey said with community. I think that's a big one. Um, and that's, again, what reiterating what Bobby said is that's more B2C. I do think it's really important to create some sort of community following integration with the people that are following your brand. I think it's a, it's a big step. The second one is value, which can come in a lot of different ways. But I think it's really easy to get caught up especially for entrepreneurs or startups to get caught up in the idea of I have this product that I think is sexier than any other product out there right now. And therefore we're going to be super successful. But if you're not providing value to people, then it really doesn't matter. And then the third one is uh, Bobby touched on it and I'm going to say it in a different light, but um, customer service, everything that, that goes into that. So following up, going above and beyond, keeping your customers happy. I think when you look at a lot of the, or any of the best companies right now, the uber successful companies, they're all centered around, you can get customer support at any time. You can like no hassle returns, um, being able to get people on like on the line to talk to you at any time. And I think that's what makes it really easy to remain a customer because I think uh, it's easy to lose people when, or lose a company that you like, even having just like one bad situation, one bad transaction, one bad experience. So everything you do is up to, up to sale or up to um, actually getting that customer. And long after actually making that sale is providing the best possible customer service and creating that relationship with your customers. What do you guys want to get out of your entrepreneurial experience over the next year? Like what exactly are you looking for? If let's say we're doing this a year from now on this exact day, what will you be happy about accomplishing? I would say knowledge at this point, just because that can continuously grow and could lead to those other things that you did mention in your question that you sent to us, whether it's money, knowledge, or fame. And I think the more knowledge you gain, the more that's obviously going to help in the future, which could help you gain money. But I think at this point in where I'm at, I think gaining more knowledge is going to be a lot more helpful for me, especially in social media and marketing and stuff like that, just because that will really help me figure out what or understand more about what works, what doesn't work what I can continue to do and just completely stop. So I think knowledge is a huge thing. How are you going to get that knowledge then? And how will you start this week? I think just paying attention more to what others do, how they are running their pages, how they are getting their followers. There's a ton of accounts out there that you can base your stuff off of and see what works for them. Look at how many likes they got on a certain post what hashtags and stuff they were doing, what kind of content they were producing, what they were saying in their videos or whatever they were putting out, pictures that worked. Looking more into that instead of kind of just basing it off of 
hashtags and following random people and hoping that works because that kind of plateaued. It plateaued because you tried it for a week? No, I've been trying that for a while. That's why I'm saying like I need to do something different this week. Gotcha. Which I should have been doing before, but yeah. Mine is simply the experience of it. I mean, yes, along the same lines as Brandon, but I like being in the situation. I think what's what's fun about startups and specifically having your own startup is it's only going to be as successful as you make it. So if you're in a company, I think it's easy for people to kind of coast by, skate by, like you have other people that are that are like pulling work, that sort of thing. In a startup, if you're not working, the startup isn't going to work. It's not going to go anywhere. And I think you can learn a lot from that. You can learn um, where you went wrong, what you did right, um, how to improve for the future, not just in that specific instance, but I think in instances far beyond that, whether it's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's customer service, I think you can learn a lot from that through kind of creating and, and uh, running, um, trying to build your own startup. Um, and for me, it's just the experience of that, whether it goes immensely well or an absolute train wreck. I think there's things to learn from both of those. And I think in the end, you're going to be better off because of it, regardless of whether you tank it or you go to the moon with your, with your startup or your business. I think there's a lot to be learned from it. And I, I, I enjoy it too. Um, I think it puts, it kind of puts the ball in your court and it's only going to go as far as you take it. So, and I've always, I've always liked that. So that's for me, it's just the experience of it and seeing what you can make. Yeah. It seems as if all of us are going to be in a similar realm. I'm interested to see what Joey's is, but I forgot Joey didn't go. So I was going to hop in with mine. So I'm sorry, Joey. You can go if you want. No, it's all yours. Okay. Well, I was, uh, I didn't think about it, what Brady said, but I really like what you said about the ball is basically in your court. I mean, you're going to take it as far as, as far as you want almost. I mean, if you're going to push hard, then shit's going to happen. If not, then it's not. And I think that's really exciting and scary at the same time. In a year, ideally would be, I want to get out of, basically I want to overall just impact, positively impact people's lives. And I don't know how, in what form that may be, but just some, some type of positive impact. And if I don't reach that in a year, which I totally might not, but if I don't, I just want to be on the path to doing that. And I want to hit milestones on my way to doing that. Um, like we talked about on a, on a previous uh, podcast, we talked about setting goals, long-term goals. And um, some of us talked about <clears throat> how important it is to set milestones so you know you're progressing. And I think, like I said, if I'm not going to be impacting someone's life yet in a year, I better be hitting milestones in order to get there. So that's kind of where I want to be. So I have to ask then, how many, you said that you don't really know, but how would you have any idea if you're doing it or not doing it if you don't know how many people you want to affect? I feel very confident that even if you were just who you are in this current moment, you will affect one person this year. I don't have a goal for the number of people that I positively impact. And that might not be a good thing. I don't know. They're bad. I have no idea. Um, there's not a goal for the number of people as long as it's at least one. And like you said, yes, I believe the next year I could, I could definitely positively impact someone's life, but I want to combine it with my entrepreneurial drive and what we're doing with EE. Does that make sense? Yes, I believe I can uh, impact at least one person's life for sure in the next year, but if I don't do it with EE, I want to be on a path to, to do so at least. So I'm going to ask you two follow-ups to that. Okay. Number one, how do you define a positive impact? And number two is how would you measure if you positively impacted someone? Is it them reaching out? Is it a paying customer? What is it? The thing is, it, it's, it's tough to measure. Um, it's a good question. Um, because there's a lot of people that you have, there's a, probably a ton of people that you have probably positively impact that you have no idea, because they're not going to reach out. I know, there's like tons of there's, 
people that friggin' smile at me on the way I'm walking to work, and I'm like, oh, that's nice. I mean, they positively impact my life, like, simply like that, and I'm not going to stop them and say thank you. You made my life better today. I probably should. That would make them feel better, too. But um, it's a tough thing to measure, and it's a really good question. In general terms, increasing happiness. A lot of things can increase happiness. I think we're going to go down a rabbit hole here. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> um, but overall, I think it's just increasing someone's happiness. And whether that be with a product, with a service, something that you do for them, I don't know, whatever it may be. Um, I don't think you can definitively measure it, but increasing happiness is kind of the answer I would give. It's not a great one. And like you said, uh, knowing if you did positively impact someone, you may not know. I guess if I had to measure it, and it would it would totally depend on the type of, I don't know, product or service I was giving out. And maybe, I don't know. That's a good question. No, the only reason why I'm asking is because I could be 100% wrong here, but... I believe one of the biggest problems a lot of people have with actually accomplishing what they have in their mind <clears throat> is they don't have any rules or structure in place to actually push them to do anything differently. So like, I'm not saying that's you, but what I'm trying to figure out is if it's a you large definitive goal. Yeah. But if it's like a large generality <clears throat> and you don't know how to measure it, you don't know exactly what you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. Like, what makes you look at your life a month from now and be like, I'm either hitting, I'm either doing what I'm trying to do, or I'm not doing what I'm trying to do. And like, I get like, you know, I can't define exactly how I make someone happier. I can't define, or I can't really measure it. I can't put metrics on it. But there are ways to be like, all right, this week or this month, I believe I'm going to make someone happier by sharing my experience through three blog posts. And if I have 50 people read it at the end of the month, I can assume that maybe it, it positively impacts one person. And like, I'm not saying that's a way to do it, but I'm more curious about what do you actually put in place to essentially fulfill that goal, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something to think about for... I mean, it's like long-term goal planning. It's like we talked about. You need to set what's the what's the big goal-setting acronym? Smart goals. Uh, it's I I don't timely. Well, that's not the first letter. But. I don't remember. Brady, do you remember it? Somewhere in there. Uh, it's like attainable, um, timely. Uh, I don't know. Those are two of the letters in the word smart. <laughs> Measurable is one of them, which is what Bobby said. Yeah. Realistic is probably R. Uh, I know what you're talking about. But okay. yeah. Anyways. It's specific, measurable, um, actionable, relevant, and time-bound. I right, kind of got off topic. Anyways, so I think trying to go back to what you were saying, but to answer your question, I need to, I would need to go back, set an actual long-term plan that – lays out an actual achievable, attainable, definitive end goal. And from there, I can, I can, I can measure it. Um, so at the moment, basically with what I explained in your follow-up questions, there's not a definitive goal pretty much. So that needs to be changed. And that's something you'd like to do. Have Correct. a definitive. Cool. That's what I was trying to figure out. Grazie. So thanks for, thanks for that one out of me. So mine actually falls under Brandon and Brady's. I believe for me, at least it's the year of learning. So I'm going to try to read a lot of books. I'm going to try to constantly be listening to audiobooks. I'm going to try to become an expert essentially in my field, which is crowd solving. And the, I'm going to essentially piggyback off of that and try to become an expert in B2B marketing as well, because that's essentially gonna be the most important thing for the company that I'm running right now. So really quick, crowd solving, just because Joey brought up a good point through a message that none of you guys can see, because this is a podcast. Uh, crowd solving is 
open innovation, which is probably also not helpful. So it's the idea of using the crowd, having the crowd come together to solve problems. So it's the idea that the sum of many is better than one human being to come up with new solutions. So this is the year of learning. Number two, I, and this also falls under learning, it's gonna be the year of failure. So I wanna fail as many times as possible this year. I wanna take more chances and I wanna fail more rapidly. I'm hoping that this year essentially allows me to learn a lot through a lot of mistakes. And I hope that I measure it in a way that I can actually change the mistakes and make pivots to those mistakes. I ultimately believe if you have a year of failure, you really have an enormous year of growth because I think through every failure, you're growing rapidly and you kind of need it because it's proof that you're changing. And with change comes discomfort, with change comes failure, with change comes growth because there's no other way to grow. That's my big thing. And if we want to get down to measurables, kind of based off of what we were just talking about with Joey, my goal is to take all of those learnings and kind of change the world of education. And I want to change it in a way that we use real world experiences to change education. So I know this is a small number and it should be very attainable. But my goal is to positively change the world of education for a thousand clients this year. So whether that's through students on educating entrepreneurs, students solving challenges on our GoMahi site, or companies that are actually having challenges solved on our GoMahi platform. I'm hoping that I affect or I essentially have a thousand paying customers. I don't care what they pay. It's just proof of concept in the sense that it's proving that we're giving them enough, enough knowledge, enough uh, content that they can consume and find it valuable enough to pay for it. I would be very happy next year if that was the case. Even if I had to sell my truck and that's how I was staying alive with selling everything I own. But if I came to you and said, this is what I learned, this is how many people I affected and it was over a thousand, we had a good year. So that's mine. I'd give up almost everything. Would you make Ashley sell her wedding ring? I would not. So when I say almost everything, I would not give up anything that essentially was Ashley's. So like I wouldn't sell her car. I wouldn't sell her car because I don't want her to actually feel the discomfort of my decisions. I believe I have the right to go through as much discomfort as possible, whether that's me picking up like another job. I, I don't think it's coming to that, but if I did have to pick up a job for 12 hours a day and then do go mahi for 12 hours a day, if we poured too much money into it, it's just kind of my burden to bear and I need to figure it out. But I would, I would give it all up to make these things work right now. So my, I think that actually brings up a really good point. And although you're not in the situation, I think there might be a lot of people in that situation. Is your advice to people like go through discomfort on your own and not affect people around? Like what's, what's your play on that? Because I'm sure there's a, there are how many countless entrepreneurs that are in that situation of like my family, my wife, whatever. Here's my opinion. And maybe I'm backtracking on something I just said. But I believe when it comes to being an entrepreneur, you have to want it enough that you block out every single person's opinion. You essentially kind of push everyone aside. I know family is really important, but you got to make some time for family, but you also have to have a family that's willing to understand what you're trying to accomplish. I think there's one opinion that you can't ignore. And if you are married, I believe that's your spouse. I think you have to run things by them. I think they have to be your partner. I think you have to actually make sure they're all in like you are or else things can become a disaster. So I think you got to block everyone else out but your partner. And I think you have to legitimately, completely, honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, Am I willing to live without a paycheck? Am I willing to put in 20 hours a day? 
and do this year after year after year without making a dime. Because the truth is, the greatest entrepreneurs out there, even, even when they're running million dollar companies, they're still making way less than their employees. Like that's the sacrifice you have to make. Like if you, have to, if you wanna make something insanely scalable, you should be making a little money and pouring it right back in the business. And we say this throughout our entire site, but it's not glamorous and it takes forever. I mean, really three years, four years, five years is not a long time in the grand scheme of things, but it feels like a long time when you're in it. Cause I'm two and a half years in, no paycheck for two and a half years. I've poured a lot of money into a company, not $1 has come out yet. And that starts to wear on you when you go into the office every single day and you don't get paid or you don't get a client or you just keep grinding for the long term. It just wears you down. It wears down your relationships. It wears down the people you love. It wears down your mental state. But you got to just keep pushing and you got to believe that the reason you're going to make it work is because a lot of people would quit at that point. That did that kind of answer your question or did I go down the wrong path? Yeah, it, it no, that I think that did answer my question, but I, I have on top of that because you say the one person you can't leave out is your spouse. And you said, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring her into it. Like, I don't want her to feel my discomfort. What if like she said, like, hey, I'm in on this, like, let's sell my car or like, let's get rid of the apartment and, and um, go go live somewhere somewhere cheaper back with parents not that this is gonna ha like yes. ever happen to you but like situationally I, i'm just more i'm just more curious about it oh yeah for sure i think that's where it gets like very murky is like yes i don't want because i agree with you that it's like your endeavor you have to you have to take it on but the people around you have to be okay with that as well because if they're not on board like you're ultimately not going to be able to do as much as you want to do um kind of like go through that struggle um, but what happens when the people that you're around say like, Hey, we're, we're all in with you. Like, we'll also go through the struggle with you. I don't For know. sure. Ashley, my wife, we definitely, she definitely knows where we're at. Like she knows what amount of money we've poured into things. She knows that we haven't gotten paid. Like she understands where finances are at. She knows how long it's going to take. And if things got real tight and we were talking and she said, you know what? I'm willing to move in with your parents and sell this and sell that. Yeah, I'd do it in an instant. But if we had that conversation, which would be a hard conversation, and she was like, you know, I really like our lifestyle. I really enjoy being comfortable. Like that's my responsibility too. So that would require me to maybe take on a side job. Maybe that means I can only put in 15 hours a day on my, my main project, but taking on a six, seven, eight hour job, I'd be able to make enough that our lifestyle can stay the same. And if it's a little slower to get to that ultimate peak of success, that's just the way it is. I'm 25 right now. And whether you're 30, 40, or even 50, like the average person's living to the 79. If you had to grind that out for the next five, six, seven years, like that's a short amount of time. And you'd have a lot of time kind of at the peak after that. I think people just don't jump in because number one, they're not willing to jump in fully. And I think you really have to think it through before that. And number two, people jump in and then they jump out so quickly because they don't get the results they want. And they don't understand, they just don't understand how hard it is. I agree with you. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Like, I mean, I mean, burn the boats. Like it's tough, right? Don't look back. Like you gotta, I was curious. Cause I think it's a, I think that's the tough question that people have to, an, to have to answer. And at the end of the day, a lot of people don't want to look in the mirror and say like, yes, I'm willing to take all that on, on my, on my own or put other people through that. So I, I think that's like a big hurdle that, that people have. I mean, you guys all know why you haven't jumped into entrepreneurship fully. Joey and I were actually talking about this last week. The thing that bothers me so much, it bothers me that there are so many people that talk about how they want to be entrepreneurs or they say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start my own business soon. And they talk and talk and talk and they never do anything about it. But I also strongly dislike all of the people that are constantly posting, I am an entrepreneur. Like I... Honestly, I shouldn't even post that I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> like, I shouldn't. Why? Like, well, because I don't believe 
I'm to the point where I can claim that I'm an entrepreneur worth anybody looking at. I don't think anyone should mimic what I've done to this point. I don't think I actually deserve the title yet, I guess, because I think the people that are truly entrepreneurs, they're the people that have been grinding it out for 10 years. Who knows? Maybe I'm going to go get a job next year and I just became an entrepreneur because I fell into the fad that everyone else is falling into right now. But what do you guys think? I mean, because we're not going to have time for Joey's question, but we have a few more minutes. What do you guys think is the ultimate reason why people either fail in entrepreneurship? And we can talk about this more next podcast. Why do you think people don't jump in? And do you think people should jump in? Because I don't think many people should. I think people are worried about their image and how comfortable they are with their life. So I know that you don't care what people think about you. You've made that very clear. I think that's a good thing to have to some extent and not saying it's bad for you. I'm just saying that you have to be able to put yourself out there and to stand out. And I mean, if you weren't doing your videos or whatever, people wouldn't care. People wouldn't pay attention. People wouldn't be messaging you saying whatever you, I can't remember what you said. They were saying just like, this is dumb or whatever. Like people are saying that because you're doing something different. People want to do that, but they're too scared because they know that people are going to come at them at some point and they're not going to be able to know how to handle it. And then they're just going to throw in the towel. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Like I'm saying, I can definitely see the fear of worrying about what people think. Yeah. That's a very real fear. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that's why I can't remember what the stat is, but I'm sure that's why the average entrepreneur that actually makes it is like in their forties and fifties. Yeah. Cause you just learn as you go on. I mean, I've kind of experienced it, but not to the highest level. Like you just learn not to care what people think and you say, screw it. I'm going to go for it. If they don't like it, whatever. Yeah. I don't, I think that's part of it. Like when you talk about the age thing, I think a big thing and I, I could be totally wrong, but I think a big thing with age is I think people have their, their whole lives where they're like, I, I want to, I want to do this. Like maybe you're like, even when you were like 15, you always wanted to start a business and then you're 25 and you don't have a business and then you're 30 and you don't have a business and then you're 40 and you don't have a business. And I think they get to the point where it's like, I'm running out of time and like I've, I've spent time time countless time doing x or y and you get to a point when it's like it, it's now or never and like i think it's a happiness sort of thing right like am i happy doing what i'm doing or like and what like why not try and do this now um you could also argue the exact opposite of that of like a lot of people have a family at that point a lot of people have other things at that point but i think like i think time presses on people it's easy at at our age, recently out of college to say like, oh, I have plenty of time to start a business. I have plenty of time to do like name any activity. I have plenty of time to do that, which is not, not true, but it's easy to see that. Like, oh, I have my whole life to do that. I'm going to do whatever I'm doing right now. But I think you get down the line and the truth is time, time runs out really fast with other things that are going on, whether it's setting up a family, getting a house, getting all these things. And I think that caught like forces people to, to jump in, jump. I mean, like you look at some of the really, really, really successful entrepreneurs and a lot of them hit it at, at an older age. Um, and maybe that is, maybe that's maturity. Maybe that's knowledge gained throughout life. But I think part of it is like, I, I've tried other things and it's like time for me to do something that I really want to do. I, I don't know. That's just something that I, I personally um, think can be a factor, but I, I agree with what else has been said as well. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. I could see I, that for sure. That could be totally wrong, but no, I like that. I think I think there's tons of different factors, like we've been saying. I think one that that hasn't been brought up is, and uh, obviously I could be totally wrong too, but people trying to find, so they they decide, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur, and they're like, what's the next step? All right, I need an idea, and they try to think of the most perfect idea that's going to work. And you're just not going to think of a perfect idea right away. And I feel like that's what halts a lot of people 
I feel like ideas and whatever it may be kind of kind of build along the way and and they kind of go through tweaks to make it better but some people if it's not like a perfect idea right away they're not going to go for it and so basically it just like gets prolonged and prolonged and prolonged because they haven't found this perfect idea that eventually they just don't do it i definitely hear that excuse a lot i hear a lot of people say i really want to be an entrepreneur but I just don't have any good ideas. Not even like any ideas, but just like the perfect idea. Correct. But they just go, I don't have any ideas. And then they go, I'm sure someone's already made it or someone will make it someday better. Or why why would I even do that? There's so much self-doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's true with, I mean, that's true with anything, right? Like, yeah, you can doubt yourself for like, I think, I think that is like the characteristic of, anybody that does anything successful is like, I can do this. Like, if you don't believe you can do it, like, good luck getting anybody else to believe it. Like, um, and I, I think that's a, such a big part of not startups, but just success in general. Like, you have to know deep down, like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that regardless of whatever, like, skill or level I'm at right now, I can figure this out and make it happen. But I think it's so easy to get caught up in, like, there's a, a million other people out there that know more than me, that are doing more than me, whatever. And self-doubt sets in, and then that just hinders everything that you're doing. So before Brandon does our big wrap-up, real quick for everybody, we kind of dove in this week on time management. So these courses are going to be coming to you soon. Looked into time management, looked into networking. We looked into uh, creating a vision and essentially module one is coming together. So get excited for it. Look for it. It's going to be great. We'll probably uh, launch it on the cheap. So you guys can actually just interact with it. And it's going to be pretty exciting to see what you guys think of our content. And we're putting a lot of time in. We're putting a lot of effort in beyond. It's not just our opinion. It's actual leaders in the industry. And we're trying to pull as much data, I guess, for you guys to consume as possible so you can make decisions off of that.